You're opening up to Exodus chapter 15. We'll be starting at verse 22 in just a second. And as one journey ends, the journey through Lent, another begins as we prepare to walk through the wilderness with Moses and the Israelites. So we return to the book of Exodus. When we last left the Israelites, they had just become a free people. The Lord God systematically and convincingly dismantled centuries of Egyptian dominance and oppression. The Israelites witnessed the powerlessness of the Egyptian army at the hands of their God. Their God heard their cries. Their God, revealing His strength, power, and majesty, brought them out of slavery and saved them. On the other side of freedom... From the shores of the Red Sea, the Israelites will begin to make their way to the wilderness of Shur. If you will, the proverbial road trip is about to begin. Next stop, the promised land. Moses and Miriam lead the people in a praise song celebrating the glory of their God and their renewed relationship with Him. And they lived happily ever after. Or so we'd like to think. (laughs) Beloved, as we begin to read in just a sec, sometimes you can only appreciate where you are when you remember where you've been. Long before the coming of Emmanuel, God with us in Jesus Christ, we recall the God who drew near in the desert and on the mountain. From Exodus chapter 15, starting with verse 22. Then Moses led Israel, led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? 
Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Three days. Three days after their Easter, after their resurrection from death at the hands of Pharaoh, after their release from centuries of slavery in Egypt, the Israelites find themselves roaming the desert looking for water. Imagine the burning heat of the sun. Shiver just a little as you consider the chill of the desert night. Put yourself in their shoes as day by day the supply of water that you carried with you gets lower as your collective thirst becomes greater. We're told that the human body starts to feel the effects of dehydration when just 1% to 2% of body fluid is lost. If the level of fluid loss increases to 10%, dehydration can actually become fatal. Dehydration, exhaustion, disorientation. And then you see an oasis in the distance. You muster up that last ounce of energy to, take, to get to that spot. You push on, you nudge your neighbor, you carry your kids. You pull your livestock. Just one drink and everything will be better. You get there. You bend down. You cup your hands. And the water is bitter. All of it is undrinkable. With a dry and cracked throat, you begin to seethe. A low, murmuring sound turns into a complaint as you cry out, a voice among many saying, What are we supposed to do now? We can sense the panic, the desperation in their voices. Days earlier, yes, they were enslaved in Egypt, but at least they had a roof over their heads. They had food on the table and water to drink. Now, here they are, wandering around in the desert, homeless, and scrambling for the minimum standards of life, and finding themselves without so much as a drop of clean drinking water. Were they going to die like this? Had God abandoned them? No, not at all. Through Moses, we read that God provides water that the Israelites need to survive. The Lord shows Moses a tree and tells him to take a branch and throw it into the bitter waters. When Moses follows God's instructions, the water becomes sweet. It becomes acceptable, refreshing for a drink. But if you were paying attention... In the midst of all the grumbling, God has more than a thirst quencher in mind for his people. Through Moses, God leads the Israelites beyond the watering hole of Marah to a place called Elam. Elam means large trees. 
It was a place about seven miles south, less than a day's journey from their present location. All the people wanted was a drink in the desert, but the Lord takes them to a true oasis, a well-watered spot filled with lush palm trees. He gave the Israelites something better than Marah. The people learned that following God's leading will never let them down, that he will always provide abundantly for their needs. And no doubt, the Israelites rode the high of this wave of God's provision all the way to the promised land. Not so fast. It's, it's even more shocking when you read it because it's truncated, but it doesn't take long for it to happen again. A few weeks later, Two months into their journey, the fear and the frustration of the Israelites begins to simmer again. Their bellies were empty. Their stomachs were growling. The people wanted food. Real food. Three squares a day. Just like they used to enjoy back in Egypt. Enjoy back in Egypt, right in between the pain of the lash and the threat of death. Murmurs turn into grumbles. Grumbles lead to gripes. But just when it seems as though the Israelites are going to come apart at the seams, right at the moment that the people are convinced that they are going to starve to death, God rains down bread from heaven. Manna, they called it. Literally, what is it? The Israelites were able to gather these sweet, flaky wafers in the morning and ground them together to bake bread. Later rabbis would remember that enough manna fell each day to feed the people for 2,000 years. So even though God provided more than a light dusting of manna for the people, if we continued to read on, we'd hear that an omer, an omer a day keeps the doctor away. An omer a day, four pints worth, was all that a person needed. In fact, the Lord's provision was only for that day. Under the heat of the desert sun, the manna would melt away at e at, by each sunset. If you managed to find some shade and save manna until tomorrow, you'd wake up to find moldy, smelly, worm-infested bread. You couldn't save the manna for tomorrow, except on the day before the Sabbath. God forewarned the Israelites that they would not be able to gather food on the Sabbath. Instead of working for their food, the people were called to rest and renew. Imagine that. To allow them to do this, the Lord commanded the Israelites to gather a double portion of manna on the day before the Sabbath. It was only during that period that leftovers would, be, would not spoil, that leftovers would be good for tomorrow. The people were hungry, and so God gave them food. Once again, the Lord provided for their needs. And yet, if we were to continue on, in spite of his provision, in spite of his generosity, they continued to disobey him. We are told that some Israelites tried to hoard the manna, even though they were told not to. Others went out to collect the manna on the Sabbath, even when they were informed that none would be provided that day. 
Why? These people were from a farming culture. And they were accustomed to storing up food, making preparations for tomorrow. These people were not used to taking it for granted that there would be enough food for tomorrow. And so not getting enough food to last for more than one day seemed counterintuitive. Does that sound familiar? So the Israelites continued on in our story. Geographically, they get closer to their final destination, the Promised Land. But when they camped at a place called Rephidim, spiritually, the Israelites end up right back where they started. Once again, there's no water to be found. And the people were thirsty. But this time, the people didn't just grumble. We're told they quarreled with Moses. This time, the people didn't just ask for God's provision. They demanded it. Give us something to drink. Things get so bad at Rephidim that Moses actually believes that his life is in jeopardy. These people are ready to kill me, Lord. Unfortunately, these early glimpses into the journey of the Israelites are but a precursor of things to come, as many of us know. The grumbling of the people is an attitude that will become a repeated practice. Their practice of disobedience will develop into a comfortable habit. That habit of defiance will mushroom into an unhealthy lifestyle. Grumbling, disobedience, and defiance will become a lifestyle of walking in circles, of wandering in the wilderness. Beloved, the decisions being made here will in many ways be the very decisions that cost a generation their lives. Now, we might in hearing this story, and many of us chuckle a bit and laugh when we hear this, what happened, we may be tempted in those chuckles and in those laughs to pass judgment on the Israelites. How could they be so blind? How could they be so forgetful? How could they be so ungrateful? Seriously. I mean, it's easy for us to just turn back a few pages and remember what the Lord had done for them. But let me ask you something. Let me ask you, living where we do, in the nation that we do, let me ask you a question that at first might seem a little odd. The question is this. For us, for where we live, for where we are, do you think our prosperity is a blessing or a curse? God has given each of us so much. The Lord has reassured us of, us, us of his presence in our lives so many times that I, I would ask you that if we were to apply the same standard to our own lives that we would apply to the Israelites, if someone were to turn back a few pages of our lives, and if it's right there in black and white, duly noted and recorded like it is here for the Israelites, would we find ourselves to be any different from them? I mean, doesn't it surprise you? Doesn't it surprise you sometimes just how ungrateful we can really be as a people? Don't you notice that we tend to grumble and complain about the most insignificant things? That person has more than we do. He got ahead of me in line, and I've been waiting for 10 minutes already. She's leaving early again, and I've been coming in early all week. 
they ran out of my favorite brew of coffee again. Every time. They never get my order right. There's never a parking space at this place. Somebody ate the last donut. The music is too loud. The sanctuary is too warm. The preacher goes on too long. <laughs> Grumble away, baby. Grumble away. When we gripe, rather than give thanks, and I love how Joe started us off because it's so appropriate to this. When we gripe rather than give thanks, when we protest rather than praise, beloved, we are purposefully ignoring all the blessings that God grants us every day. We are taking the Lord's provision for us in the past for granted. We are making a statement to and about this God that all that matters is today, not yesterday. All that counts is here and now. Like the Israelites, we are putting this God to the test. At the height of their thirst, in the midst of their starvation, when the Israelites get so fed up that they're ready to stone Moses to death, their challenge to God gets expressed like this. Is the Lord among us or not? We might express it this way. What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? All through these encounters, the Israelites were putting God to the test. We clearly can see that. But if we look back where we started, if we look at, at all of these episodes in another light, it's right there crystal clear that all the while that the Israelites thought they were testing God, God was in fact testing them. God lays it right out there at the start. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Notice that from the beginning, the Israelites, while they've been fixated on the bare necessities of life, water and food, that hasn't been Yahweh's focus at all. The Lord is focused on meeting a much deeper need than the Israelites have. At the start of this whole series of episodes, God tells Israel to pay attention to his voice. He instructs them to listen carefully, to obey his words, because he is the God who heals. Notice, God doesn't associate himself with the water. He's not the God who heals the water. That's not the point. Through his word, by his word, Yahweh is the God who heals, who transforms, who remakes people. Why did God choose to test the people? I mean, you have to stop, step back and say, that's just cold. But if you really understand, if we read these stories carefully, God chose to test the people not to set them up to fail. God didn't choose to test the people to sit back and watch them stumble. I mean, we often associate testing this way, don't we? We, always, we think about a test. There's going to be a test today. It's a pop quiz today. And we always assess, think that testing is a means of assessing for a grade, evaluating for a promotion, that testing is a way of earning or not earning something. But God's testing isn't like that. It's not about winning or losing. It's not about success or failure. God's testing is about learning, growing, and transformation. 
I mean, think about it. The Israelites had lived for centuries, centuries, generations under the thumb of the Egyptians. As a people, they were not only enslaved to the will, but also to the ways of Pharaoh. Their view of the world, their choices, their decisions came out of the fear of punishment and the will just to survive, just to see another day. But this is no way to live. This is not God's way to live. And so the Lord uses the wilderness as a training ground for teaching the Israelites to live a different way. As someone once wrote, God got his people out of Egypt, and now he was getting Egypt out of his people. The Lord brings his people into situations that call for a strong obedience to him. Again and again, God provides for his people. The Lord's provision, however, comes with instructions. As we've heard, it comes with a testing. Do what I tell you. Gather only what you need. Don't save any leftovers for tomorrow. On the sixth day, collect enough so you can rest on the seventh day, on the Sabbath. Don't panic. Rely on me. Through these challenges, Yahweh is demonstrating that he is a loving God who cares for his people. Through these trials, the Lord reveals that his decrees and laws are not punishments like Pharaoh's. His laws and decrees are given to set the Israelites free, to heal them from fear and uncertainty. The purpose of the test was to create a God-centered people a people who live by faith rather than by fear, a people who rely on the Lord rather than on themselves. And the Israelites are wondering when their where their next meal is going to come from. And God provides manna once again. The Israelites ignore God's commandments. It's, it's not that so much that they fail as collectively they miss the point of the test. Notice Yahweh's question in the midst of their ignorance. How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? The Lord's concern is not on the condition of their stomachs, but on the state of their hearts. Not on their ability to get fed, but on their ability to digest what they have been given to eat. The people need to learn to trust and obey the word of the Lord. God is going to teach the Israelites to obey him and his commands, to build a deep and ongoing trust in him as the Lord God, their provider. The point was, of all of it, the point was, as Jesus would later say to the devil when he relived these tests in the wilderness, the point was that the real bread from heaven is every word, every instruction that comes from the mouth of God. Beloved, the journey that the Israelites are on here is the road of discipleship. We tend to think, you and I, we tend to think of following God being more like a walk in the park rather than a wandering into the wilderness. Embrace the Lord. Come, give your life to Jesus Christ. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, it's going to be great. And it is going to be great. But don't kid yourself. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. Because change is hard. Transformation is challenging. You and I, we tend to measure the, the tests of discipleship in terms of success or failure. Consider how we shop for churches. 
Some of you may be here today shopping for a church. Consider how we do that. How we discern where God is leading us. Think about how unconsciously we discern where God is leading us. The benchmarks of God's presence and power in a church are listed typically by most people this way. The size of the church. The staff of the church. The budget of the church. It's programs. What do they offer there? What do they have? If there's a mood of excitement when we come this morning, if we go away feeling turned on, if we go away feeling like, hey, my needs were met, we think that God is present in that church. That's what we call a spirit-filled community. Notice what isn't part of our evaluation. Notice what we don't accept. Conflict. Oh, they're having trouble with the denomination, huh? Oh, boy, I'll come back later. Boy. Oh, they took away communion at the rail. Oh, boy, people are grumbling. I'm out of here. Okay. <laughs> Shortages. Oh, they're, run, they're, they're not going to make budget this year. They had to let staff go. Oh, boy. That's not a good sign. Inconvenience. Oh, my gosh. Really? Really? The pastor preaches that long? Really? <laughs> They don't have wine, they have juice. Really? Man. They didn't have communion during Lent. Shortages, inconvenience, conflict. The very ingredients of our story today are the very ingredients we do not perceive God's presence to be in. Like the Israelites, we find it very difficult to believe that God is present when things aren't going well. We struggle, we grumble, we complain when God leads his people, his church, into times and circumstances of difficulty. But beloved, that's why we're in Exodus. Because if we keep trailing behind the Israelites, we are going to discover, if we've forgotten or if we never knew it, that the journey of faith is a bit more uncomfortable and challenging than we care to admit. Beloved, Discipleship is the process of being disciplined. I know that's a word that none of us like, but discipleship is the process of being disciplined, of being tested. Generally speaking, in our lives, when we're not thinking so much about it, we come to the greatest levels of trust and faith when everything else upon which we rely falls away and we only have the Lord before us. We never set ourselves up for that kind of circumstance, but when that is what life gives us, those tend to be the moments of greatest trust and faith when our relationship deepens with this God. Much of the work, the transformative work that the Spirit purposes to work in and through us takes place in the quiet and lonely solitude of the wilderness. In those moments when we perceive that apart from divine intervention and provision, we are going to perish. It is in those times of adversity and testing when God becomes the most present and the most precious to us. Learned obedience, reliance in the wilderness experiences of life, that's not just the stuff of the Israelites, that's the biblical witness of Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, David, the Apostle Paul, and even God's only son, Jesus Christ. We follow a God of purpose, my brothers and sisters, we may not always be able to see his purpose, but it is ever there. Our troubles and our trials may often seem pointless. But if we can trust the deep purposes of the Lord, then nothing that happens to us will be in vain. God knows our needs. 
God plans ahead for our well-being. The manna that God gave the Israelites and the way by which he provided it required the people to rest on the assurance that God would deliver. They were to place their faith in God not by just praying, but by actually trusting that the Lord would each day give them their daily bread. And the Bible tells us that the Lord continued to provide manna for the Israelites for 40 years until the people reached the borders of the promised land. God knew the way he was taking the Israelites. He knew even before they left Egypt that they were going into the desert. The Lord knew and he had already prepared the rock at Horeb, which is the third stop on our journey when the people were once again thirsty and ready to stone Moses. The Lord knew and had already prepared the rock at Horeb. He was leading the Israelites to that place. He would be standing himself on the rock so that the people would not miss it. For this isn't just any old rock, by the way. It's not any old rock that the Lord tells Moses to strike to get water. This is the rock at Horeb, the place where Moses encountered the burning bush, the place where Moses learned that this was the mountain of God. From this rock, Yahweh descends to give the people water. Upon this mountain of which this rock is a part, the Lord will descend to give the people his Torah, to teach the people his word. God had given the Israelites so much, and yet they were never satisfied. He had proved himself over and over again, and yet they always wanted more proof. The Lord had proved himself, we might argue, sufficiently in the miracles of the Exodus. It's not that Israel lacked evidence, beloved. They only lacked the willingness to learn, to receive faith. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, if God provides what we need as we need it, if you could come up with at least five things when Pastor Joe started this morning of how you are grateful, things that you don't often think about, if God provide what we need as we need it, and yet we still complain, we refuse to learn, are we any different from the Israelites? I ask you, what kind of wilderness do you find yourself in this morning? What kind of dangers? What kind of shortages, what kind of inconveniences are we facing today? More job cuts? Another financial crisis? More natural disasters ripping apart our communities? Bills we can't pay? A marriage that isn't royal and perfect? A cancer that won't stay in remission? A war without an end in sight? An adoption that won't go through. Are you looking back? Are you looking back and reminiscing about the past, making the good old days a lot better than they actually were? Are we silently, maybe even secretly asking ourselves, is the Lord among us or not? Beloved, in the situations that we feel are more than we can bear, in those moments when we are convinced that we are abandoned. God is with us. Like the cloud and pillar of fire in the desert that never departed but always guided the Israelites, God is with us through the tough times. You are not alone. The Lord is with you. Like the path through the desert that God led the Israelites, a path by which they wandered, but a path that God knew he was taking them on. 
God also has a path mapped out for us. Sometimes it feels like we don't know where we're going, that we're not going anywhere, but God knows. And God walks with us on it. And he will provide for our every need. The amazing thing about all of these incidents, grace unveiled yet again in the Old Testament, is that God abundantly provides for his people even in the midst of their grumbling. Do not lose sight of that. That God provides not just a little, but abundantly, even in the midst of their grumbling. Even at the height of their disbelief and testing. When they were ready to commit murder. When they openly didn't ask, but demanded, challenged God. The Lord abundantly provided for them. In point of fact, it's because of that, that moment at the rock at Horeb, that the rock at that place became the symbol later on, continued on as the symbol of God's presence with the people. From the psalmist to the prophet Isaiah, you can read it. This image of that rock serves as the image of God's faithfulness in providing for his people. At the very time when the Israelites disputed the presence of God, it is revealed that God is more acutely present than ever before. At the very place of Israel's breaking point, the location of her doubt, by the grace of God, that place is transformed into a symbol, a lasting symbol of Israel's hope for the future. If that's not resurrection in the Old Testament, I don't know what is. And beloved, like the children of Israel, we have just come through Lent. We have just renewed our journey of faith. The exodus of Easter is behind us. In Christ, God has redeemed us. Through a tomb that was empty, the Lord has proved Jesus to be our deliverer. But as we live out his resurrection, we walk away from the security of the life we have known. And we embark on a road of discipleship that is strange and new. Before us are challenges that will test us. They will push us. But it will be through these experiences that the Holy Spirit will teach us, shape us into who we were created to be. Believing in God is easy when you do it from the comfort and luxury of what is known and familiar. Trusting in God is more challenging when your only security is the Lord. When even the day-to-day -day necessities of life are not at your disposal. When you have to walk by faith and not by sight. Beloved, individually, collectively, as a community here at Grace, let us step forward and not turn back towards the Egypt of our lives. Let us look to the rock of our salvation and believe that the Lord is with us. Let us refuse to grumble, choosing instead to realize that even as our troubles and challenges come, we can expect our God to be nearer than he has ever been. Amen? Amen. Amen.